As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by Matt Fortuna after Notre Dame's 12-7 win over Louisville. Um, not in any way, shape, or form what I expected today in terms of the scoring margin, um, how Notre Dame played offensively, certainly a, a much better performance defensively from Notre Dame. Uh, the time of the game, uh, a lovely two hours and 52 minutes. Wow, might be shorter uh, on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's a, um, and also, but... Just like the only thing that was consistent from last week to this week is Clemson scaring the living crap out of you if you're a Notre Dame fan. Um, I guess, Matt, from a distance, what did you take away from Notre Dame's performance today? I certainly have some uh, some takes yeah, from some a takes. local perspective. I have some takes as well, and i got to be honest. I'm just not as doom and gloom as everyone is about this performance. I know, like, Notre Dame Twitter is burning at the seams right now. <laughs> um, I can kind of see the the, the – Smoke coming from your bald head in that private tiny room of yours in Notre Dame Stadium right now. Look, it wasn't pretty. And when you uh, put that in one picture and you put Clemson having the biggest win in the history of the ACC over a conference opponent uh, in another picture side by side just a couple hours beforehand, yeah, it should scare the crap out of you if you're a Notre Dame fan. I get that. I just think it's 18 to 22-year-old kids playing a game where the ball bounces funny and – most of them lose this kind of game when you don't have your A game. Notre Dame at least has the best offensive line in the country. And even though they didn't always look like it, there's something to be said for getting the ball with, what was it, seven-plus minutes left and just saying, all right, game over. Stop us. You won't. Um, you're going to need more than that to be Clemson, and every conversation we have from here on out is going to be put in that light, so I get it. It's not a pretty picture. But, like, shit happens. Like, they won. Like, I, I don't – I mean, I'm kind of of the Brian Kelly and even Ian Book, who sounds more and more like Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese in his post-game interviews. Um, just kind of, you know, cool, calm, and collected. Nothing to worry about. We got a good offensive line. We're going to lean on them. Um, I, I'm kind of, like, taking on their identity, I guess. I mean, I, I get why people are freaking out, but I also think it helps to have adults in the room in high places like those guys are. Uh, who don't freak out, who know that this happens, know they got to get better, know that they don't need to go all rah-rah and scorched earth to um, say we got to get better. I mean, I, I don't know. They, 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 
they still pretty much impose their will on this game um, for the most part. I know 12-7 doesn't exactly scream that off the front page, but um, I, I, I think they had a, a weird game. It felt like a Navy game, you know, in terms of both time and – Yeah, but Notre Dame was Navy, right? <laughs> Notre Dame won. I don't know. Does that mean they're Navy or Notre Dame? Um, I, I don't know. I, I get the doom and gloom. I get it. I, I just think it's like, all right, it's over. Like, they won. No one got hurt, which usually happens against Navy. Uh, and that's that. Like, put it behind you. I mean, that's those are fair points. And, I mean, I agree with certainly the running game – I think it's come a long way that they could rush for, I think, to what, 232 yards today? And you're not sitting there thinking, like, what a dominating performance on the ground uh, um, where, you know, 200 yards is just sort of, yeah, okay, 200 yards. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that that was not the case here. So that's something, and I, I agree with that. I just – I sort of looked at um, the performance today – based on Brian Kelly's commentary after the game to NBC about how this was a learning experience and think, well, wait a minute. They're teachers. You third year, said that. <laughs> yeah, you have a third-year starting quarterback. Um, you got five starters back on the offensive line, very old at receiver, you know, maybe not game-breakingly talented, but old. Um, that the offense should have it together more than it did. Um, and I, I think that's a, a fair criticism without being a total freakout. Um that a freak out would be Notre Dame doesn't have an answer a quarterback. Um, you know, the offense is broken. I think that this is much more of a case of like Ian book needed to see the field better than he did. However, um, at receiver, they sort of are what they are. Um, you know, what Javon McKinley did last weekend against Florida state is the exception. He is a sort of a complimentary piece in the passing game. Uh, I thought Ben Skronik showed some, some real, veteran savvy today particularly on that last drive for that 13-yard gain and I think you saw why we've been talking about Kevin Austin for the better part of two years um, you know he was a, a toe tap from really removing all drama from the game um, as I think Notre Dame would have been up 13 nothing at halftime at that point um, if he scores there but you know didn't happen but you can see what's going to happen with him I, I really think that you know Notre Dame was a a sharp sort of mental performance from Ian book and just more, more juice at receiver away from comfortably winning this game 27, um, seven. But they didn't, they didn't have either of those things today. We'll see if they have them moving forward. They need both of them. Um, I think even just to go 10 and one in the regular season, they need both of those things. But um, you know, today 30 mile an hour wins was a little blustery. Ian book said it was the windiest game he's ever played in. Um, you know, I, I can't think, but that sort of took away from that that happening in the second half. I think you look at the learning moment and teaching moment comments and think, kind of like we've been saying all year, like this team's going to need to get pushed at some point before Clemson. Whether that came from its own undoing or Louisville just having a really good game plan, I think they got tested today in a way that we did not expect them to get tested really all season outside of that November 7th game against Clemson. So I think that's where that comes from. Brian Kelly, uh, interesting press conference when I think you would ask him about reminding the team to, to celebrate wins. And he said, I know you yeah, know yeah. if it aesthetically looked bad, which I mean, it did, Brian. But um, he also said, <laughs> he said, I've been in a 12-7 game when it was, and I quote, a stinka. And he, we were reminded quickly that Brian I Kelly is a Boston, Boston native. Boston accent comes, comes out. out. Virginia. Um, it rarely yeah. comes out, but it does come out from time to time. Um, 
even the alma mater though and i'm curious you were in the building but you know they, they play it on tv the alma mater felt like a funeral like everything about the day just felt like a drag and some like yeah i mean just, i did i did not hear it um but just some like other the, reporters, the, the, the looks on everyone's faces and i, I don't know it just felt oh, like everyone no, no, was no. dragging it I'm, out. I'm i'm talking about something else um oh. i did not hear this but other reporters said that they heard boos from the students. So that, that was another point I was going to bring up actually is you never wish for this situation, but like it's a good game and a good year to have this performance because like when you play a bad game against a team, you're supposed to win almost like in March madness, when there's an upset, like you feel that momentum just get sucked right out of you. And I think that happens when you have 80,000 fans who are rooting you on all of a sudden get silent or boo you. And you just don't have those kind of fickle wins, if you will, in a situation like this season's where you only have ten thousand people. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that vibe in the stadium at all. I mean, look, Notre Dame—they won twenty-two straight at home, ten straight overall, and I believe twenty-eight straight against unranked competition. So they're not in a position where I—I I don't want to say they're immune to that, but they're pretty close. Um, you know, you mentioned at the top of the show, like. It's 18 to 22 year olds. And look, I get that. That's true. Um, You look at the roster and their birth dates, they are 18 to 22 year olds. However, uh, I think they're incredibly reliable in these spots to ultimately win the game, regardless of whether it is a high scoring game, low scoring game, uh, today almost a no scoring game. I mean, this was the the fewest points Notre Dame had scored in a home win since 1978 against Purdue. Um, So you got to go back. Your birth year? Uh, no, 1977 for me. Mm-hmm. I, I had yet to – I think I had tr- just turned one uh, when that game occurred. So, it, um, it's – I don't know. It, I think that Notre Dame is, is really reliable. Um, you might not always like what you get if you're a fan watching it on TV, um, but in the end result you will if you can strip away the box score and maybe how it looked and how it felt. This was I, – I definitely want to enter this into the record. Unlike Florida State, which was like a little back and forth. I mean, they, they've played in some games that have been tight against overmatched teams. Um, when Louisville almost recovered that onside kick, I thought that they, they were going to score there and Notre Dame was going to have to play from behind for a minute. I think they, they still would have um, won the game, but I thought that Louisville actually put real game pressure on them in a way that Florida State did not, Duke did not, um, that they haven't been under in quite some time. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Kevin Austin being a toe tap away from kind of eliminating all doubt in this game. I mean, I, you know, I think there are two plays in this game. There's that one, which if it goes in our name's way, um, we're having an entirely different discussion about this game. And I think there's the onside kick, which by the letter of the raw law was a good rule. I mean, I did not know about that rule. Mike Tirico and Tony Dungy certainly didn't know about that rule from the sound of it. And I didn't know you could review for that rule when <laughs> reviewing to see how far <laughs> the ball traveled. Um, those damn ACC refs always giving Notre Dame a break here. Uh, between that and not counting Louisville's downs right uh, on, oh. on their ensuing possession, which I still couldn't really follow. Um, I think that's, like you said, that play stands. And I think that's when you like feel it in the stadium um, and probably on the sidelines uh, the way you were kind of on the precipice of, but never quite got over that hump of panic mode um, during the game today because they were playing up front. Um, Even Louisville, I mean, as much as everyone's hyping up Louisville, they missed the field goal. It was as entertaining a missed field goal as you'll ever see (laughs) at the end of the half and bouncing right off the the middle of the crossbar. Um, But it just wasn't, I mean, 
I just felt going to halftime like, wow, that's the most dominant six nothing deficit I've ever seen in my life from Louisville. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's going to take a lot for a run of the mill ACC team, which most of them are, to beat Notre Dame if Notre Dame's not turning the ball over, and they weren't today. I agree with that. Um, and they, other than Clemson and North Carolina, they only play run of the mill teams the rest of the way. So I, you know, they're not going to play more than two ranked teams this season. That's that is a lock. Um, so. At a minimum, that's nine and two. I think that uh, if this team is as good as Brian Kelly thought it was going to be when the, when the sort of preseason got going, when he sort of described it as you know maybe the most talented team that I've had, you know, ten and one is, is sort of the bare minimum. Uh, and then you know you want to see them put on a an A plus effort against Clemson, even if they lose here. You know, something comparable to Florida State in twenty fourteen right. or Georgia in twenty seventeen or Maybe less so Georgia last year because I think that was a game where you felt like Notre Dame was the less talented team from the get-go. Um, you, you'd like Notre Dame to look like it, they're not just sort of having to roll the dice against Clemson, that they have a game plan to, to control the ball. And I, I don't know, oddly, I think that, you know, if you said that, all right, what's the game plan for Clemson? Well, you know, Ian Book throws fewer than 20 passes. Right. Notre Dame controls the clock. Um, you know, wins time of possession by almost 13 minutes, no turnovers, few penalties, uh, and Kyron Williams runs for a, a buck 27. You would say, all right, pretty good game plan. Um, it, it, but obviously, I, I was thinking Louisville's, that thing, Louisville's defense, <laughs> Louisville's defense, Clemson's defense. I mean, they're both defenses, but that's the only comparison that you would make between them. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. So when Notre Dame took over, um, with just over seven minutes left for what ended up being their final drive of the game, Mike Tirico, I think, encapsulated the mood of Notre Dame fans succinctly <laughs> when he said, and I quote, this is Notre Dame's seventh drive of the game. Clemson scored seven touchdowns in the first half today, end quote. Uh, yeah, see, and it's... I, when everything's in that light, yes, like, today sucked, but, like... <laughs> It's everyone's favorite parlor game. Like, is this good enough to beat Clemson? Well, I tweeted it. I mean, DraftKings immediately put the odds for that November 7th game from 10.5 to 13.5 um, as soon as Notre Dame's game went final today. And frankly, a little surprised they didn't make it more than two touchdowns. But um, that's just – that's the world we live in right now. Um, I, the other part, by the way, that also I think contributed a little bit to the Inks was fake field goal. Um, yeah. Ooh. Just um, weird. Yeah, so Brian Kelly – said he called it um that on tape louisville gate or yeah louisville gave a look that they thought that would essentially be a touchdown for jay bramblett um didn't really come close to that and 
I, I mean, it was just a strange play. The weather conditions are odd. If you know it's going to be – if your feel of the game is like this is going to be low scoring, right. then a field goal is worth more than three points. You know what I and mean? And he said we had goals instead of – what did he say? He made some soccer analogy. Goals, goals instead of touchdowns. But like, you didn't really. Like, <laughs> you didn't take yeah, a couple points. In that instance, they didn't. <laughs> um, you know, it, it felt like – if you are a, if you watch the EPL, sometimes managers come in and there's a they draw a pretty big distinction between the result and the performance. And I think that Notre Dame in that realm was like totally fine with the result today, but not at all happy with the performance. Uh, you know, Ian Book talked about got a lot of work to do. Um, I think you know the receive the the receivers getting better are a big part of that, whether that's Skoranek's health uh, or sort of keeping McKinley sort of mentally sharper. Um, certainly Austin getting healthier. Brendan Lindsay had a soft tissue injury, which is why he did not play a Hamstring whole lot today. Hamstring was what I was told, yeah. which sounds about right. Yeah, so it's like between you've got, you know, Mike Mayer, Kyron Williams, Chris Tyree. I mean, they have some weapons. They're all just sort of inside the box. Um, they need something outside by the numbers to to compete with Clemson and North Carolina. And that remains a work in progress. That doesn't mean they can't, finish that job before Clemson. But I believe that, uh, you know, just pull up the tweet, Carter yeah. Carroll's at the South Bend Tribune tweeted this out. All of Notre Dame's wide receivers threw four games, 23 catches, 259 yards, two TDs. Chase Claypool threw four games last season, 21 catches, 286 yards, one TD. Um, I, I would add to that, Claypool threw four NFL games this season, <laughs> 13 catches, 261 yards, four TDs, and a rushing TD. Four TDs last week, which was more than uh, his uh, successors have combined for so far this season. Yeah, it just I mean, it's a strange spot to be where you're running an end around with Javon McKinley. Um, it gets 14 yards. You get a first down. You move, you move the chains on that. But it's just not a – you know, and then you throw the two-point conversion to him as well. It's like so – I thought it was a little premature to go for it in a game where scoring yeah. was at a premium and then not going for it also just kind of like contributes to this world as sky is falling atmosphere. Yeah. Um, it, was a, it was just sort of a weird use of personnel. Um, I'll be curious to see how that develops um, in terms right. of the receiver usage moving forward. Do you play McKinley and Skoranek at the same time as much? Um, do you move Kevin Austin around, which they did? I mean, we saw him sort of lined up in the slot. We saw him lined up outside. Uh, I mean, athletically, he's a he's a threat that those other guys are not. Um, reliability, not there. But um, you know, certainly that's I think where Skoranek is your best receiver. Is you know where he's going to be. Um, you know, third down, trying to keep that drive moving at the very end. I I would totally get having Skoranek in the game to run that drag route across. You know, I think he had, it was eleven yard, maybe a thirteen yard reception on third and seven. Um, that I, that's where I think Skrana can be a real asset for you, but um, you need Kevin Austin to also be that asset. So it's almost like McKinley and Skrana are very similar types of players, uh, very physical, good blockers. Both beasts. Yeah, both. Beasts. Well, excuse me, one's a beast and the other's a, a safety one, blanket. Safety What's valve? that? No, not safety valve. Safety, safety blanket. blanket. Okay, sorry. Um, yeah, that was a, a, a bit of a stark difference between those two receivers, even though I think their games are somewhat similar. Um, you know, and then you need Lindsey back. You need more from Austin. Like, and I, I think you know Lindsey's been in and out of the lineup so much that I think it's hard to sort of sure. bank on his health still being there throughout the season. Austin, I realize he hasn't necessarily impacted the roster in about a year and a half, but um, you know that was it was a nice catch, even though it was out of bounds. And I thought that his 18-yard reception that he did have mm -hmm. was you. Sh there was like, okay, this is this guy's 
a, a plus athletically. You know, he can make somebody miss the way Mayer can hurdle somebody, the way Tyree and Williams can juke somebody. Um, he's not somebody that you just throw the ball to and he gets tackled. Like he can, he can sort of you get, let you play eleven and a half on eleven when he gets the ball. So that's that is just so so critical, I think, for Notre Dame moving forward because he can just make plays that a lot of the other receivers can't. I thought a couple of the post game comments from a couple of different parties were interesting. Um, Brian Kelly, I wouldn't say single out because he named pretty much all of them, but. So Kevin Ostrom, Ben Skaronic, and Javon McKinley and Braden Lindsay have to make more plays. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, I think it's a question of if those guys right now are capable of making those big plays more than anything else. Um, I think Ian Book saying that the first two drives throwing was a big emphasis was was enlightening, if not surprising, even though it wasn't surprising. Uh, but, but he also said, you know, asked about adjusting to the win. He said Tommy Reese came up. So we're going to do what we're going to do. We didn't just feel like the win was, was too hard, and we said, okay, we're done throwing. The run game's working, and that's been for a, there for us the entire year. Um, part of me wonders if this is just one long, slow play to unveil a completely different playbook and the only game that actually matters this season. <laughs> I don't know if they'll go that far. but Are I, you saying this is all like a really long con, like a exactly. two-month con? Exactly, exactly. Okay, um, interesting. That said, um, I, I mean, I, I – I, there's more to this Irish offense than we've seen. There has to be, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there, yeah, there certainly, there has to be. Uh, um, you know, if there, and if there's not, uh, I would really put the onus of that on the on the staff because it's not like they don't have talent in Austin, Lindsey, Mayer, Tremble, Williams, Tyree, uh, Jordan Johnson, um, in the freshman class who really hasn't done anything. There's there is talent to make the offense do more than it did today. Um, a lot more than it did today. And by the time Clemson shows up here on November 7th, they, they better be able to pull some of that out. Otherwise, and I'm not saying that Notre Dame needs to try to you know, try to match Clemson in a gunfight, but man, um, they're going to at least have to have the threat of somebody running down the field and Ian book, throwing it to them. Um, and I think if you were watching Notre Dame right now, you would question whether that you need to have more than one guy deep that you can't put eight guys in the box and see what happens. I'd question whether they can do that against North Carolina after today. Um, now that game's yeah. so far down the road and both teams will look so different from an identity standpoint that that's just not really a concern right now. But uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, they need more playmakers. I mean, you mentioned the freshman and Kyle Hamilton always gets an honorary shout out on this podcast uh, his breakup on that first drive oh my of the game goodness. on two, two when you watch in slow motion, it's like, how did like, wait, he didn't touch him. You know what I mean? Like he just kind of flew over him to, to bat that away. Uh, and then Michael Mayer made a, a leap uh, shortly after that in the second quarter that also reminded you that like stars matter. These guys are five stars for a reason. They are absolute yeah. freaks athletically. I do appreciate as first, as first reported by Ari Wasserman. Right. I would say as first reported by Pete Sampson, Kyle Hamilton's really good in a group text the, during the game today. He tried to compare himself to finding the cool indie band for being on the Kyle Hamilton hype train before everyone else. Newsflash, Pete. Great. I'm the conductor no, on that. There's thing. no indie band when you're a five star. Okay, that's like <laughs> saying I knew about LeBron James in high school. Yeah, so did my grandmother. She gets Sports Illustrated. Like that doesn't count. <laughs> no credit given. I can't. That's this is why you do the ad reads, Matt. Because <laughs> you won't give me any credit for finding Kyle Hamilton. I'll give you credit for picking Notre Dame to be Clemson. Um, 
earlier. Thank you. Week. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up during <laughs> during uh during the game. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Um, you know, defensively, uh, you know, let's see, Louisville finishes with 219 yards, you know, around four yards, a little over four yards per play. It was a it was a nice bounce back performance for that group after kind of a ragged, weird, right. awkward game against Florida State. Um, Jeremiah Usukomoro looked great. Kyle Hamilton looked great. Um, you know, I think last week they got in some bad matchups, whether it be Houston Griffith um, matchup with receivers, or there was a one play where Florida State got Tammy on Terry matched up against Shane Simon, a linebacker. There was no instances today where I felt like Javian Hawkins or Tutu Atwal got. A favorable draw uh, before the play started. Um, that Notre Dame sort of had all the answers for those kind of moments before they got down the field. Um, so I give Clark Lee and that defense a lot of credit for cleaning some things up. Because I mean, I don't know what it's going to take to slow down Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, but it's going to take a performance that is so sharp and so clean and so crisp and so disruptive. And they're going to have to gamble and put Clemson behind the sticks. Um, but a performance like today, I think it gets you if I think we talked about this last week, like Javon McKinley's performance was more exception than rule. But I think that against Florida State, but the defense was also more right. exception than rule against Florida State. This was the rule today. Um, it's really hard to score 13 points on Clarkley's defense. Uh, and Louisville didn't really even come close to that. No, you, you asked a good question of Jeremiah Uso Karamoa about, you know, what does it mean to to be simpler on defense because that was a, a talking point they had post game. And um, he said, cutting down the amount of calls we have. And I, I think this is the perfect game to do that, right? Like mm-hmm. it was a very fundamental, our is better than your in. Um, I think on both sides of the ball kind yeah. of performance for Notre Dame today. Um, it was, it, it's interesting because that, that Louisville scoring drive was really impressive. I mean, they took seven minutes, 37 seconds off the clock to open the third quarter. And then they got the ball back and you're wondering, when is Notre Dame going to get the ball back? And how's this defense going to bounce back from being on the field so long um, as Louisville takes it over at midfield? And that was really a game changer, I think. I mean, it was, again, it was the right call, and it should have never come down to that. But I think that was a big turning point for that game because that's the Notre Dame came out and scored right after that as well. Yeah. And I guess I need to correct myself because that was, there was one play in that drive where they got. Uh, Javian Hawkins matched up with Drew White in pass coverage, and Drew White sort of got flo- he flowed that inside. Was, that was like watching in slow motion on TV. Even Tariqo like, was no. like the ball, and like it was a terrible throw. Like <laughs> yeah, half just hung throw, in the air. So I mean, that was okay. So one snap, they got the matchup they wanted. Uh, one snap out of forty-five. That's a win for Clark Lee. It was, and also at that point, you're playing without Jeremiah Wusu Koromoas, who was out of the game for I think just two plays, but that was wonderful. Um, where they bring in Jack Kaiser uh, as sort of the backup rover linebacker. Um, so that that's it. You know, that's Louisville's one big play of the game. Um, the other one could have been the uh, special teams play on the kickoff immediately afterwards. But other than that, there there were not a lot of instances where you felt like uh, Louisville's – what a sharp call that just like it got tipped at the line or 
somebody dropped it. There wasn't anything like that. And I think conversely, I think in the first half, at least there were a few moments where you felt like Ian book could have been picked off on drives that ended in field goals. And that's, you know, that, that can be a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not saying there were like five of them, um, but there was McKinley in the end zone that uh, was missed. I believe there was one to Mayer going down the sideline that I don't know if I got hung up in the wind or what happened there. You know, those are, those are slightly concerning because after the fact, I think we sort of ignore those moments, turnovers that weren't. Um, but, it, but at some point, if you do that kind of stuff, they will pick it off. That will be a turnover. Brian Kelly was again asked to evaluate Ian Book's game, and he said, quote, when the game's on the line, you can count on Ian Book to make big plays for us, and that's a good feeling to have. I thought he said, shut the hell up, stop asking me this question. Yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, not – well, he keeps getting asked it because he keeps giving, like, the the fan mad an answer. Like, that's how, like, I would – you know what I mean? Like, that's how me and you describe him. I think people are looking for more insight, and we've never gotten a true evaluation of Ian Book's game from Brian Kelly, who I know doesn't technically coach the quarterbacks anymore, but is a guy who's made it 30 plus years in this business by usually doing a good job with quarterbacks. So yep. um, I, I don't know if he leaves you, I don't know if Ian Book leaves you wanting as much more as, as everyone else seems to indicate. Um, I mean, I think he, you know, he, he got sacked four times a day, which was four. I think they had three coming into the game on the season. Yeah, I believe that's right. Um, I mean, he kept a lot of plays alive today. I mean, that touchdown run was phenomenal um, and, and needed and necessary. Um, hey, really nice block on uh, he had a great block. Chris Tyree's run. I don't know um, if it made a difference, but it was very entertaining to see. No, him I mean, the, the, the guy that he blocked made the tackle just five yards later yeah, than he would have they, otherwise. Yeah, after the first down, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a good play. It was fun to watch live. Um, by the way, we, we can't um, – escape this podcast without talking about another Notre Dame offensive lineman going viral uh, for entirely different reasons than Lee and Meikenberg did last week. Um, Tommy Kramer, don't enter your name in Twitter right now. If you're oh, a relative I, of Tommy I, Kramer entering, okay. uh, I, listening missed, to this. I missed that. Um, and perhaps um, I will continue to miss it. It was the butt fumble without the fumble part. That's all uh, I'll say. Okay. Are you trying I, to tie this into a sponsorship for Tuna? <laughs> wow. I am. Uh, I'm just getting beaten left and right on this podcast here. I'm getting beaten worse than a uh, defense alignment trying to go up against Liam Eikenberg this year. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it was. I mean, overall, look, twelve seven. I think the same way that Florida State what was it. I can't remember the score. Was it fifty two twenty six? Forty two, right? Forty two. Yeah, forty two twenty six. I'm not sure that you're going to remember anything about these first four games on when you're sitting in Notre Dame Stadium at 7.30 p.m. on November 7th. Like, is there anything that, you, that will have happened up to, that, up to this point that is really going to be all that relevant when they play Clemson? Not publicly. Not for us. Not for the fans. No, maybe mm-hmm. internally they're, they're, they're building toward it. But no, I mean – Different season, different opponent, different circumstances. So I want to be careful here when I make this comparison. But going into that Oklahoma game in 2012, which is still kind of the defining win of the Brian Kelly era, um, and I, I and I feel like everyone thought Oklahoma was going to kill them that game, even though Notre Dame was undefeated going into it. Um, and they end up winning largely on the arm of Everett Golsing with that 50-yard pass to Chris Brown, who I don't think had made a catch all season I to that point. First, first career catch and only um, catch of the season. And we hear Brian Kelly afterward talk about just how many times they rep that behind the scenes and how they were waiting for the perfect moment. And you'd have to think there's a lot of that 
type of uh, those types of scenarios going on as far as preparing for Clemson um, because you're just I mean Pittsburgh has a good defense they're 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 not the steel curtain and we don't know who's going to play quarterback for them next week and I don't think it's really going to matter um, Georgia Tech <laughs> hey they, you know what Georgia Tech took care of Louisville a little bit better than Notre Dame did so I don't want to be smart Georgia Tech season was canceled after Georgia today. Tech. <laughs> Everyone's talking about how terrible uh, Trevor, Trevor Lawrence is. Last I checked, he didn't opt out. I mean, he's not that charitable. Yeah, he, he is also a winner. Um, yeah, I think that it, it's – He might not winning. even be the best player on that team, by the way. That's not taking right, anything away from it. Trevor Just Lawrence. Stop it. Um, <laughs> I think it's worth looking back at some previous Notre Dame seasons, whether it be um, the performance against Purdue in 2012, um, not really indicative of a team that's going to run the table. Um, Pittsburgh. You know, la- last year – they play at Louisville. The, the defense is sort of all over the place. Um, you know, New Mexico, whatever, sort of a throwaway game. But then they go to Georgia and play in a way that they haven't played all year. Um, you know, I would even throw the Florida State from 2014 in there. They really look bad against North Carolina here. Uh, Marquise Williams was the quarterback. I mean, really bad. Um, I believe that they won like 50 to 43 in overtime. That's about right, yeah. Uh, and then they go down to Florida State and just have it completely buttoned up. Um, great game plan offensively, defensively, almost pull that thing out. So it's – I mean, they've they've delivered in big spots and played up in big moments before where you wouldn't necessarily have seen it coming based on what they had shown to date. So it's – in some ways you look at this and say, was today good enough to be Clemson? No. Um, but is it relevant to how they're going to play against Clemson? I'm not so sure that it is right. um, other than, you know, where Notre Dame needs to get better. And if they get better in the next four weeks, then they will have a puncher's chance against, or the next three weeks, I'll have a puncher's chance against Clemson. Yeah. I mean, in summation, um, because we're doing these right after the games and, and you know, we're, we're prisoners of the moment. I came out of last week thinking, you know what? I can't wait for that Clemson game. Like they might not beat them, but they got, they got a chance um, and it's going to be a fun game. I can't say I sit here looking at the 12-7 box score. No. Feeling the same no. way. Um, but that could also change next week when they go on the road for the first time, which will uh, be interesting for its own reasons just because that's not something they've done uh, in the calendar year 2020 so far. Yeah, absolutely. It will be it will be interesting. If they can get through Pittsburgh, I mean, I think Georgia Tech is, is no challenge whatsoever. Um, Next week, we'll guarantee that Notre Dame will be undefeated against Clemson. And Clemson is already guaranteed to be undefeated against Notre Dame. I don't even know who they who do they play the next couple of weeks. Clemson? Do they play anybody? Well, they're in the ACC, so no. Uh, okay. I mean, they don't play North Carolina. They already played Miami, and Notre Dame is they not They play Boston weeks. College? Okay. I mean, I, I mean, I know they play them. I'm not saying that like <laughs> they're going to lose. Yeah, they play Boston College. Uh, okay. Oh, Sorry. Syracuse next week at home, oh, which God. is actually the last team to ever beat them in ACC play um, and almost did it uh, again. Uh, Syracuse, Boston College, yeah. And then Notre Dame. Both Clemson games are at home. Okay. All right. So Clemson's undefeated. Notre Dame gets through Pittsburgh. You really need to hear who they played well. before um, you said Clemson and then we'll see. be undefeated. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know why it's like, oh, they're playing the Steelers. I didn't know that. When did that game make the schedule? So – yeah, I'd say that uh, it is looking highly likely that we will all get what we want on November 7th, which is number one Clemson versus, I guess, depending on how tonight goes, number three Notre Dame or number four Notre Dame. Uh, but it should be a I don't know. Ohio State and Penn State are top ten teams, and they might, uh, they might leave them. 
Mm, yeah, I mean, I don't know if Ohio State's performance against Nebraska next week is going to. I meant after today, but yeah, I, I forgot they're actually minds. playing next um, week too. <laughs> okay, yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll see. It's but I I think we're clubs. The game is big enough where it's it's not just a one game look ahead. It's a two game look ahead. Um, so we're looking ahead past Pittsburgh. We're looking ahead past Georgia Tech. Uh, we don't need to take it one game at a time, which is something Mike Tirico said last week. Um, we can we can sort of see Clemson coming over the horizon. So it um, it uh, it's going to be more two more post game reaction podcasts of like was this good enough to beat Clemson or not before we do the podcast of was it well here's what happened. I'll say that. They're keeping it interesting. They're giving us something to talk about. I mean, between last week and this week for entirely different do. reasons. Ah, I don't know if they did last year. Last year was a very boring season outside Fair. of Michigan and Georgia, to be honest. And not, I don't say that because they lost. I say it because they were surprising performances for different reasons. But, uh, no, they're, they're keeping it interesting. I mean, I think they're, there's still a lot more to this team, as, as Brian Kelly said afterward, that, that we haven't seen and that we're going to need to see. But um, they're keeping it interesting in the dynamics of the conference and having Clemson at home and really not having a, a home game of this magnitude since the Bush push are only upping the ante and only making us uh, want to rush through these next few weeks that much more. We will get there. We will get to November 7th, I promise. <laughs> We've talked about it enough. So. Uh, until we reconvene next week uh, with our pregame podcast for the game that is two games before Clemson, also known as Pittsburgh. Uh, he's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for being with us on the latest episode of The Shamrock.